Welcome to Culture Eats, a show that seeks to explore some of the great organization cultures we have in the Asia-Pacific region, one bite at a time. I'm your host, Daniel Maskord. Welcome, everybody, uh, to Culture Eats Episode 2, which is Starting and Scaling Culture, uh, in particular within the Asia-Pacific region. Really excited to have three great guests to join me on this topic, each um, who are startup uh, veterans. Um, so I'm sure you all will have, have a lot to share and everyone who's listening uh, will gain from their perspectives as well. So I've got uh, Max, Blake and Neo on the line. Uh, welcome everybody from the US and, and Thailand. Thanks, Daniel. Good to be here. Hey, Daniel. Hey, Daniel. Thanks for having us. What we'll do is just for everyone that doesn't know you, it'd be interesting just to get some brief introductions, uh, who you are, your backgrounds, um, and, and why I guess this uh, this uh, topic is of interest to you. And I might start with uh, with Neo. Great. Um, hi, Daniel, and uh, and good to share our thoughts with uh, people like Max and Blake. My background is I, I come from a strategy um, and management consulting background, uh, career-wise. That was the first half of my career. But the last 10 years or so, I've been focusing on startups in various capacities. So I've built five businesses myself, but my focus is really on um, working with multiple companies. So I've got equity in uh, in 16 companies myself now um, and companies that I'm very deeply involved in beyond an advisor. So sort of like a light part of their management team. Um, so the value I really bring here is a cross-section of experience across multiple companies. Um, and I've advised 200 plus companies as well. And yeah, and I've lived in, very different places. Um, Sri Lankan, Australian, um, lived in Sri Lanka, Australia, Papua New Guinea, Hong Kong, and now Thailand. Wow. Great. Yeah, well, um, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to have you on the show, and uh, I'm sure there's a lot to, to learn in the next uh, one hour or so. Thank you. Uh, and I'll, I'll move to Max. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Daniel. Good to see you guys, Blake and Neo. I think I met Blake very early on in the old Hong Kong days. I, uh, my story, I, I've been an entrepreneur for about 10 years and I moved to the venture capital side about two years ago. Um, I've been involved or founded uh, two companies in the United States and two companies in Hong Kong and Singapore. Um, so definitely a lot of commentary around the um, cultural elements of both, um, both sides of, of the world, as they say. And now my focus is on really on supply chain and food tech investing. Um, we, we sold one of our companies in early 2020, which has led me to, to focus more on the investor side. Excellent. Thanks, Max. I'm glad, glad to have you on the show as well. And uh, considering the show is called Culture Eats, it's also nice to have someone that specializes in food. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Uh, great. Last but not least, uh, Blake. Yeah, hi guys. Good to actually see all of you and good to meet you for the first time, Daniel. Um, I'm originally from the Chicago area and I had a pretty typical corporate start to my career working for Walgreens, which is one of the bigger pharmacies in the world, doing both real estate and finance. But um, really the last uh, 11 years I've spent outside the US, everywhere from Barcelona to South Africa, and most uh, recently the last seven years in Asia, You know, helping build companies uh, over that time. I was one of the early employees, one of the first 10 at Lala Move. Um, we're roughly around 10,000 employees now across 400 cities. Uh, speaking of culture, I just repatriated to the US to actually build the U Lala Move business here. 
um, to Texas. So I'm going through my own, um, <laughs> my own cultural experience, actually, after a decade being outside the US and coming to Texas as, you know, unique in two of itself. So um, very glad to be here. Amazing, Blake. A lot for you uh, to share on the topic of culture across, across the globe. So re- really good to have you on board. So I, th- I think now that we've moved, moved uh, through the introductions, I'd like to just get a little bit deeper into getting to know you guys just a bit more, um, which is what is known as the rapid fire round. So uh, in the order that uh, the introductions were made, which will be Neo, Max, and then Blake, I'm going to ask the first question. And the first question is, what food gives you the fuel for the, for the day? Neo. Um, I'd have to say eggs, any style. Okay. Yeah. I'll take them in, in whatever form you can give them to me. Love it. <laughs> I'll, I'll take you up on that. Uh, <laughs> Max. Uh, well, does coffee count as a food? I'm just going to, I'm just going to chalk it up as, as food, uh, food necessity. So that's my, uh, that's my, my key key ingredient and neo you got to check out some of the new companies coming out that do you know eggless eggs you know plant-based eggs it's incredible what's happening in that space oh wow okay so fake eggs fake eggs fake eggs for neo you said eggs anyway so that's (laughs) that fits (laughs) but but i did say but i did say eggs anyway (laughs) (laughs) you you got that one uh okay uh over to blake yeah, I, I'm going to double down on the coffee effort, but specifically, I'm going to have two Americanos. And if there's time for any other food, you know, that's really secondary to me. Okay, good, good. Okay, so second question is, if, if not food or coffee, uh, what else gives you energy uh, for the day? What else fuels you, Neo? A couple of things. I, I think it's if I've, and this, this is very boring, if I've got quite specific goals that I've got that lead to good outcomes, right? Um, whether that's business outcomes, whether those are social outcomes, etc. I think because I'm so ruthlessly outcome oriented, I think having those goals and having a path to those is one thing um, that inspires me at any point in time, I think. Um, but otherwise, um, I think being around people and I, uh, I, I uh, resonate with, um, I think that that has a very intangible effect on both my mood and my productivity. Uh, I- interviewing, I get I get so uh, excited from either interviewing new employees and and seeing the impact of of an employee kind of uh, you know resonating with a business, or in my current role now, interviewing entrepreneurs from an investment perspective and just meeting people who are just so incredibly passionate about whatever they're building um, is is I mean super exciting. Love it. So, so p- people again, but uh, in, in particular, the specific type of people perhaps as well that, that, you're, that you're meeting fuels you. Uh, Blake, how about yourself? For me, it's really about um, just recognizing the possibility of that day. Like, I mean, kind of the world is your oyster. I, I mean, what's in front of you is always better than what's behind you. And, you know, if you recognize that you can really tackle that, go after it and be around a bunch of people that will, you know, also share that you know, whether it's personal or professional, that, that aspiration of what could happen. I think that's, that's really an exciting thing that gets me going every day. I'd like to change my answer to Blake's because he said what I said much nicer. 
<laughs> That's why you're a consultant. <laughs> we may keep or edit that out. So uh, let's move swiftly into the third question. Um, it, it is rapid fire. So, Neo, what is your biggest inspiration or who, who is your biggest inspiration? Um, I'm going to be, um, uh, apart from Blake, um, I'd say uh, I'm going to be really, really cheesy here and, and my dad. Um, I think it's because, one is because he got along with everyone in a way that I've, I've never seen um, to that extent, extent and depth before. Um, and the other is that he's ruthlessly principled. Think about things that um, improve livelihoods or people or social things in general. So. Great. Thanks, thanks, Nia. And Max? Yeah, I'm going to go more of a business direction. Uh, Danny Myers, who's a huge kind of restaurateur um, in New York yeah. City, uh, writes and talks a lot about culture, organizational behavior, and, and scaling businesses in a structured kind of systematic way. Just, just love everything he says. He's also anti-tipping, which Blake will know in America uh, is a ridiculous institution here. Um, we don't have that in Hong Kong. It's a whole nother cultural discussion we can talk about at a later stage. Great. Uh, yeah, Danny's a good one. Uh, Blake, how about yourself? Yeah, I'm actually going to go with my wife. Um, I think she lives with an authenticity to herself and a conviction uh, that is centered um, from her as opposed to outward in. It's inward out for her and how she lives her life. Yeah, and she has always lived with a lot of courage. And she's the one who, you know, took me out of my corporate career and said, let's go figure out what this world has to offer. And she was doing it long before me. And then I got the bug and, and here we are. And life couldn't be better because of it. Yeah, yeah great. Yeah, th three really good sources of inspiration right there. Uh, fourth question we'll, we'll move swiftly through is who, who wins culture or strategy? It can just be one word answers. Uh, Neo. Culture. Even though I'm a strategy guy. Culture. Good. Good answer, Max. Yeah. Strategy because I'm the devil's advocate. <laughs> Blake. Uh, I, I, I got to go on the culture side. <laughs> culture wins this round. Uh, perfect. And the, and the very last question is... Um, somewhat related to me, if you know me, uh, on a scale of one to 10, one, one being get me as far away as possible from these jokes and, and 10 being um, can you hook me up with a, with an IV drip uh, just purely with dad jokes. How much do you, do you like dad jokes, Nia? <laughs> Hearing them uh, closer to a one or two, but telling them closer to a 15. <laughs> 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 hearing your own dad jokes. <laughs> 500. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, try and beat that, Max. No, definitely a one. Definitely a one. De definitely a one. Blake, what do you got? I, I mean, by by being a dad myself and telling just amazing dad jokes, you you know you got to bet on yourself. Everybody says so. I'm 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 going nine yeah, or ten yeah. here. I mean, they're they're essential part of my identity at this point. Yeah, me, me too. <laughs> yeah. There we go. I'll say on the last show that uh, I think I think they get worse. So for people like Neo and Max that don't like listening to them. With age and more kids and more time parenting, they get really worse. But there are some, maybe fellow dads, that they actually feel that they're getting better. So there's, there's, there's something <laughs> happening. 
happening there. Yeah. And for some for some reason, people don't appreciate it as they should. I don't understand what that's about, but I. They don't, they, they don't, they don't recognize the improvement in performance. You know, I mean, I'm on my second child here and I feel like I'm outstanding at this point. Nobody even says anything. <laughs> well, as, as Max said before, this, this could be another episode. Uh, just, just <laughs> Max and Neo unsubscribed already. So uh, that, that's the rapid, rapid fire round all, all, all done. So good to, good to have all your answers and just getting to know you guys a little bit more behind uh, the names and the titles and the backgrounds. So um, now, now that this is over, I just want to kind of switch gears a little bit and move into culture. You know, we, we brought you into this room or this virtual room together to talk specifically about you know, a startup culture, I guess, is the highest level, um, but also talking about that journey from when you're starting a business for the first time, you know, how important is culture? And then as you're scaling the, 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 the startup and moving it into... A, um, a regular organization or eventually a gl- global multi- multinational, how important is culture? Uh, but the other lens that we have in this episode is also talking about you know, Asia or Asia Pacific and what's what's unique about culture out here. And, and the reason why I'm personally interested in it because you know, for about two years I've been reading the books like um, the Netflix books, um, books about culture in Google and Facebook, uh, culture in Silicon Valley, I guess, is, is probably the common theme. And I've seen it time and time again in, in Asia where people that I know may li- literally pull out a, a phrase or a chapter or, or a, um, a concept from these books and say, well, we need to apply these into our organizations in Asia. And I think with mixed success. So I've, I've I kind of wanted to pull pull you guys together to talk about well, what's unique about culture in Asia? Uh, are, are there things that we can be inspired from outside of Asia? What works and what doesn't work? And we're going to start with with one topic, and I think everyone will probably have a different viewpoints, and that's just at the start, right? So we're starting at the start, um, and I guess the central premise to this question is, what is the importance of culture as you're starting a business? And I'll, I'll throw it to anyone that would like to you know, jump in first. Um, I mean, I, I think I think so much of culture at the beginning of a business is driven by the founders or the leader of the business. I mean, we, we talked about, you know, in, in preparation for the podcast about, I know we'll talk about it later, how culture might change. But at least at the beginning, it's so driven, in my opinion, by the leadership, the business ethics, um, you know, how they try to share and communicate that. Um, culture to maybe their five, six, ten staff. And, and ultimately, at least what I've seen at the beginning is you really do see that the earliest employees take after that leader in some respects and, and drive at least in the early stages that culture. So I, again, I mean, I'm, I'm biased in this because I invest in people. And ultimately, I see a direct correlation between an early company culture and, and the people at the top. Right, right. Thanks, Max. And uh, Blake, I might throw it to to you just uh, just in case you and Neo speak at the same time. Yeah, I think uh, on this topic, uh, first is to distinguish what you mean by culture, because culture can be a catch-all. It can be ping-pong tables. It can be values. It can be what your office looks like. It can be the types of employees you hire. So I think early on, it's really important to be specific. And actually, sometimes when you have a business idea as a founder or an entrepreneur, that's not always the first thing. I mean, you kind of know 
what you want your company to become and the direction, but you're thinking about like, how do I get customers? How do I have a product that works? And you just, you know, the culture naturally will come from you based on your personality in a lot of ways and how you run a business. But if you're not specific with the people around you, what that actually means, they can also interpret it differently. And then as we talk later between the US and Asia, how that's interpreted may be even more different depending on the geography in which you're doing it. So um, at least for us, what the first thing we did is we actually defined what culture was like um, just from almost like a dictionary standpoint. And we said like, culture for us is the mission, vision, and the values that the people have shared within Lala Move. So it very explicitly says it's about the mission, the vision, and the values. It doesn't just say like, you know, uh, it doesn't just list a couple values. So, and then we define each of those. And, and that's really been a, a centerpiece of how we've um, maintained that culture over time as well is because it's, it's very specific and people can reference that and get onboarded to it day one. But I mean, is that real? I mean, did you really define that early on? Would you say? I mean, I I typically see that as you said, right? Um, I mean, I can't take credit for this. My boss, who started the company, Shing, he he put the values in place um, within three months of three months of starting the company, wow. and they haven't changed. And I I don't think that that's probably typical, frankly. Uh, I think he's an exceptional entrepreneur and has such a strong conviction, and then consequently. They've held the test of time because they're consistent with his character. So, um, yes, it's when I say defined, it's more that people aren't explicit about it. Maybe you don't have to define it, but like it's worth the effort to try to be as explicit. And then I think we'll talk again of how they need to evolve or not evolve over time. And as you said, like they will follow that founder or founders and uh, early team. And if they don't share those, like, it's just going to fragment very early on. It's going to get in the way of you growing your business. So for us, it was very explicit and very consciously explicit. I don't know, and I doubt that's typical, but it's something worth thinking about for early stage entrepreneurs um, to at least maybe even just write it down and not just let people implicitly take it on um, because yep. it's assumed. Yep. Yep. So um, I think um, I, I very much agree with um, uh, parts of what Max said. And, and what Blake said, um, from, from my personal experience and experiences, observations of companies that I'm involved in, um, I think the, the first thing I'll say is I do differentiate culture and values early on, right? Um, and I, I, I think the notion of values probably, from, from my observations and experience, has more importance at the very early stage than culture per se, right? That's the first point I'll make. The second differentiation, the second point is around differentiation of what you mean by the importance of culture, right? I'm not sure if setting a culture and defining that culture accurately is that important. I've seen advantages and disadvantages of companies uh, doing that well, right? Or doing that specifically. But I do think alignment of important aspects of culture is important very early on. So I do, I do think alignment is important, and I think that plays a large part in setting your vision and mission. Vision and mission. It also helps you to hire the right types of employees early on, right? And that's that's critical early on because things aren't processized and structured as much, right? So I think the quality of the person you hire and the alignment they have to your what you want to achieve is very important. Uh, the the last point I'll make is I think it happens. I think to to be aware of it even before setting up a company is important. By that, I mean when you're choosing your co-founder, I think a very important ingredient 
is to think about, can I set the kind of culture that I envision as a company with this type of co-founder? And do we share uh, important values? And I think founders who miss that trick, there's a huge correlation or causation between that and failure, in my opinion. Yeah, I'll just kind of add on a little bit, um, you know, just talking about uh, purposeful culture and maybe in the startup world, and I'm, I'm no expert, um, but for the first person to start a business, the, the person starting their own business for the first time, maybe what they're thinking is, what is the product? What is the service that I'm offering? And how can I make this attractive in the market? And, and they focus a lot on the product, perhaps, but they don't, the, the culture or whatever you want to define it as is just not a consideration at the start. Is, is there something there, Neo, perhaps in your experience where you've seen, um, even investors, they would favor um, startup founders that have been through it like kind of two or three times and they've been through the highs and lows of starting a business and knowing that culture is important. Does that come up from an investor's point of view? From my experience, mm. um, especially early stage investors, and I yeah. think Max specifically mentioned he invests in people, right, for example. And I think that's, that's very consistent with most good early stage investors um, that I know, right? Um, again, because there are so many factors, there are so many unknowns in assessing a business early on, right? Um, you put so much weight on people and culture. Um, I think the the concept of investing in founders that have built companies before um, and know, know these things through experience, I, I think is a huge factor in itself, right? Um, I think one is a seasoned founder and a repeat founder has experienced things both from a business strategy, ex- strategy execution, um, interacting with people, all sorts of things mm. that you can't read in a book or learn in an MBA, right? So, so there's that. Um, but there's also the experience of inspiring people, um, building a team, mm. and getting the right outcomes from those people. Again, that you can't learn or be taught. I think you need to experience those things. And, and also when I speak to late stage founders and ask them what they would have done differently or better, the most consistent response um, I get back is I would have put more focus, I should have put more focus on culture earlier on as well. Yeah, I'll say something a bit more controversial, I think in this respect, especially given it's a cultural podcast. I mean, I, I mean when building my companies um, and I've built businesses, I mean, not to the scale of Blake, my largest business had 120 employees, um, but still, you know, multi-million cross-cultural, cross-country business. Um, and, and at the beginning, I mean, like Neo said, I didn't even, I never thought about culture, right? Like, I mean, everything was driven by growth. And I, I do think that a lot of culture in a positive and negative way is it comes from the growth metrics in the business, right? So, I mean, the type of people you hire who like growth, who get excited by growth, who like you know, the roller coaster ride and, and, and issues that come with growth, right? Ever changing. I mean, that in of itself dictates culture anyway, right? I mean, that's the beauty of startups is the, the fact that every day is different drives partially culture. I'm sure Blake can talk to that even more, but I, I would say that at least early on, I, I am amazed to hear what Blake said earlier about his uh, the founder at Lala Move that he set those values early on. I, I certainly never did. Um, I did later on, and we can talk about how you know culture changes as you scale. But but certainly for the first few years, I never did. And 
And maybe that's why I'm not as successful as an entrepreneur as the Lala Move guy. But uh, <laughs> I, uh, I certainly see, um, see, see growth as, as probably the largest driver in an early stage business of dictating culture. Yeah. And I think maybe one more comment just to add on that. Uh, I think early on values, even if they're not uh, written down, right, you don't pick the right ones at the beginning or you don't like you, you make decisions with your own value framework anyway. And so I think uh, finding people that share your values is way, way more important than people that want to build an exact culture. Because as Max said, that culture is going to be driven by so many variables. Some of them you control, some of you don't. And that's why I actually don't love the word culture sometimes because it can be a catch-all. Mm. Not, not that that's bad. Like culture is kind of that what manifests from so many different things and it can manifest in one way or another. But when it comes down to it, especially early on for me, getting that value alignment, whether it's your friends or you know family members, you probably hang out with more that have your values or your employees at an early stage or your co-founder. Mm. For me, the, the values... Um, can't be in conflict for it to last very long. And then the culture kind of is the, the resulting of all those other things. Yeah, look, look I, think, I think through um, through this early question, it's, it's clear that, <clears throat> it's not clear. It's not clear that, uh, you know, that, that co- culture is in, in itself, which is, it's a vague term as, as Blake pointed out, it is maybe the most important thing for, for startups. I think there's probably benefits of, Defining what culture means to you, and, and you know, Blake uh, has, has has said that it's a vision, a mission, and values, which is clear and, and um, easy to understand once it's been defined. Uh, and on Max's side, we're talking about growth, almost being the culture, um, a, a growth culture. And anyone that wants to be on that um, on that wave uh, probably should like surfing, right? And that's the type of people that you'd attract. And and, and Neo, I guess you talk about. The reflections from 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 individuals saying that well, I wish I, I focused more on, on culture at the start, but does it make it break a business? Uh, I think we'll kind of explore this topic um, yeah, even further as, as as it moves on. So we've we've covered the importance. Of what what is the importance of, of culture, and you know, what what do we think about it at the start of a a startup's life? Uh, we talked briefly about values um, in a la la move context. I'd be also curious, Blake, just to understand what, what, what are the values uh, that, that were defined? Sure. So um, the first one is passion. And I can define them if you want briefly, but more or less passion for, for me is like, do you bring energy to the table or do you take energy when you enter the room? Right. Like, uh, and we all know people like that. So basically, are, are you excited about what you're doing in some facet? And the, the second is um, grit. And I would say that this is the, the defining value of our company. Um, it's the perseverance to, we always say it's, you know, what do you do when something goes really wrong is really what matters. It's easy to do the right thing when things are going well, but how do you react when things are going wrong? And how do you get up day after day to do that? Because mm-hmm. that's really, really hard. And actually, I think that's why companies mostly fail is they don't have the perseverance if they're in the right market. It's, it's, a, it's a lack of perseverance sometimes. Um, the third is humility. And so we say uh, there's two things on this. It's um, when things are going well, look outside. And when things aren't going well, look inside. And then also, do you have a mindset that says, like, are you humble enough to say, I always have something to learn? I always can be better than I was yesterday. And then so those first three are very like who you are. Those are your characteristics. There's very internally driven. 
Um, the fourth one is execution. And for us, execution is about, um, you know, creating value for either our driver network or our business customers, because the first three are wonderful characteristics. But if you don't create value, particularly if you're in a startup in the internet space, it's, we say it's like the Olympics for business. There's always number one, there might be number two, nobody remembers three or beyond that. And so like the execution really, really matters. And especially in a very highly operational business like us. Um, I think the other one other point on your values is that your values very much have to align with the business that you're in. You may have personal values that are, you know, I'm fun and outgoing and creative and all of this, but we always use the example, like you probably don't want your airline to value that over safety. You know what I mean? So you, your values also should be consistent with the, I believe, with the, the business environment that you're operating in and how you want to compete because those will show through to your customers. So those also can't be in conflict. And I think sometimes people forget that. They're like, I want the fun, easygoing, whatever. But if you're in a highly operational business, you actually need more tacticians sometimes. That's true. That's true. And, and, and before I kind of pivot a little bit on values um, with, with Max's reflection on values and, and also Neo, uh, just a brief question for you as well, Blake. Um, how much weighting do you put on values during an interview process? By the time I interview somebody, I assume they have the functional competence to do the job most of the time. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have other people uh, vetting them for all of that. So really my interviews are values interviews. And we, al we always say in our company, we hire for values, we fire for values, we retain for values, and we reward for values. And so actually our entire performance framework is built around those four values and your goals tied to those values. So it's from, from the day you get interviewed to the day you leave the company, those are actually infused um, in every step of the process. Perfect, perfect. Thanks, Blake. Max, your, your thoughts on values? Um, I mean, look, I, uh, I agree. I mean, of course, it's hard not to agree with everything Blake has, has to say. I mean, I, I think the, the, the main element that I've found um, regarding values is it becomes so essential, at least in the hiring process and the first day. So I'm a huge believer of day one for an employee. I, I think it sets the tone so often for their experience with a business, with leadership in the business. So for me, from a cult, if, if I had to go with like a tactical cultural tactic, that sounds horrible. But anyway, uh, the, uh, I would, uh, I, I would, my advice would be around day one. I, I use that in all four of the businesses, and I, I do it now on the boards that I sit to try to promote that from an HR perspective. Is, you know, get leadership involved in employees day one, get those values and, and shared mission statements involved in day one. Right, make an employee really feel not just wanted, but also that they need to deliver something on day one. Right, I'm a huge believer of. You know, don't hire someone and say, you know, I'll give you more work as I build, as you build trust. I mean, trust them from day one, let them kind of explore and fail on their own and, and they either will succeed or fail. And I think a lot of that's driven from day one kind of discussions. And so that's my most kind of execution based advice I can give from a, from a cultural standpoint. That's great advice. And yeah, they, they, they do say that. It's really difficult to change a culture, um, but the easiest thing that you can do with culture is hire people that, I guess you could say fit into the culture, but actually add value to your culture. And, and to, to Blake's point as well, is to manage those that are not 
uh, fitting your values or your culture to, to manage them out of the business because uh, of the impact that they can have on your culture. Uh, you, you don't want people to overthrow your culture and, and build these mini cliques of people that are against your values and, and, and the, the tide can turn and you've seen it happen in, in some organisations. Th- thanks, Max. And, and, and Nia, how about yourself? Where, where do you see it from, from, from your angle of values? I think I think it's it's critical. It, I, I I use the word mm-hmm. uh, critical, right? Which is a strong word to use, but I think it's critical not to not necessarily to have the right values, right? Because f- firstly, I think that's that's very individualistic and that's very subjective, right? But I do think alignment of values to a certain degree mm-hmm. early on is one of the biggest make or break factors um, that are within your control early on in the business, I think. And I would go back to, again, similar to what I mentioned before, it's not even day one, it's day zero. I think um, I think alignment of values at a finding co-founder stage um, and then ideating a business and trying to articulate, not just articulate, but trying to come up with what sort of business you want to build and what sort of problems you want to solve, right? I think that stems fundamentally from what values you share with your co-founder, right? And what well, what values you as an individual have if, if you're a single co-founder, if, if you're a single founder, right? And then the next phase of that is, I think, um, it's, it's in the hiring process, right? So I think, again, where there are so many intangibles and so many factors outside of your control, this is one thing um, which I think you can, you can do that's in your control to increase probabilities as much as possible of success. It's to get people with alignment around you early on Right, and then set processes and goals and strategies accordingly. Great. I say that whilst the uh, first question about the importance of uh, culture inverted commas uh, at the beginning might, might be a divisive topic or, or, or you know, different different opinions, it seems that values certainly you know, we're we're all aligned and the, the the value of values, so, which is great. Um, and, and I'd like to kind of take the conversation into the, the growing stages of of a startup. Um, I guess we briefly touched upon values kind of being some type of a pillar or infrastructure that helps a, a organization scale. Um, so as, as the, I guess the question would be to uh, perhaps Max to start with, as a organization does move from perhaps an, an idea for a founder or, or, or a, a group of founders, um, into something which is now operationalized and executed and it's starting to grow. But perhaps on your side, uh, I'd be interested to understand what, what happens with culture. Um, and and, and th- that could be through successes, that could be through failures, it could be through other things. What, what have you observed? I mean, my, my struggle, and this is true in Asia, is, um, is, is particularly that as you expand your business outside of your core market, Right. I mean, you're ultimately expanding um, into a different cultures and be completely remote work, especially from like the management team. Right. I, I we expanded into Malaysia, Singapore, and even we're doing quite a lot of work in Shenzhen at some point. Um, so the, the the frustrations that I had, and I'll talk instead about the successes, I'll talk more about the failures because I just find that you learn a bit more from the failures than the successes. I struggled a lot with trying to, you know, share my, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of transparency, um, just in general from a management team perspective, right? Like share, doesn't matter what level the employee is at, like they, they have a right to know where the business is. 
that is definitely not shared in different areas of the world. Um, and, and I was, I mean, I'll give you, I mean, certainly Malaysia is a great example. The, 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 the kind of how I would say management deals with all levels of employees is very different in, in a more hierarchical culture. Um, and, and that was always something that I struggled with because I really wanted any employee to feel comfortable going to their general manager or their CEO and say, look, I've got a problem, right? That, and then building a culture that allows for that when it's, you know, anti some of the kind of local cultural elements is, is really challenging. Um, and I will say, I'll be the first to say, we did not succeed at that. And, and I, I think one of the, the best ways to try to combat it is, of course, through hiring. But ultimately, it's not just through hiring. It's also, in some respects, you know, making people feel comfortable that they can share. And that can be, in my opinion, near impossible. <laughs> so, um, you know, I'm sure there's other lessons um, other founders have on that topic. But I think for Asia specifically, to summarize, there are so many interesting elements that come, especially in my case, because we started in Hong Kong, right? Mm -hmm. This tiny little place where you have to expand out of Hong Kong, right? Like you need to move into different cultures to really get regional growth. Um, and uh, and so that that's one of my key lessons. Yeah, it's interesting. Like the, um, I, was, I was literally reading up on, on, on Netflix and where Reed Hastings was talking about um, their first expansion into Asia, their topic was about um, feedback. So, so they wanted radical uh, candor, really open feedback and direct. And th that was, a, um, I guess, part of their culture. And they wanted to export that to all, all different markets. And, and, and what happened is uh, one of the Singaporean uh, colleagues, I think she was a new receptionist, um, took over a different receptionist and took over a, 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 a pre-organized event, which she didn't organize. And then um, something happened with the event. And then the US colleagues uh, basically called her out, sent her a text message at you know, 3 a.m. in the morning and said, you know, what's, what's going on? Um, it was, was super direct, kind of a little bit critical. And uh, the feedback was not the type of feedback she was used to. And, and she kind of just closed up. And then she shared to her manager and, and eventually I think what they learned from at Netflix is that direct feedback is, is, is something they want to strive to as an organization, but at least through these uh, issues that you face uh, as you're scaling it, uh, have those conversations and, and be open about it. Say, so, well, I'm trying to, in the US context, I'm trying to uh, give you this feedback. Maybe it's someone that doesn't receive feedback a particular type of way. I can change how I communicate. And then the lady that was impacted could have also actually called out the US directly instead of to her manager or other people and said, I was offended by the way that this feedback was provided. Yeah, um, I mean, I think I think just to your point, I mean, it's it's I think your point about feedback is excellent. Um, certainly something that I, I experienced. I would say just because it's such a key topic in the United States right now, also around physical feedback. Um, like I have a real, I, I remember this very early in my, I was, I had started a company in Hong Kong in 2011 and, and I learned very quickly, like you can't, like, I can't like pat someone on the back, right. Or hug them. Right. Like I'm a very, like, I like, I like that like physical interaction to show that mm. I'm happy. Right. 
And I learned, I mean, 10 years ago that that's completely unacceptable and well, not just pretty much now in all cultures, but certainly even more dramatically in, in, in some Asian cultures. And so I had to find ways to communicate feedback in a different way than, you know, mm. a pat on the back or, a, you know, or, or, or some sort of hug, right? Yeah, no, exactly right. It just stresses the importance of understanding different cultures. Uh, Neil, I might kind of, uh, along these lines, uh, keep, keep this at you for the time being uh, because you've experienced a lot of different cultures in, uh, in, in this region. Yeah. What's your view about a, a, a startup scaling and hitting some uh, obstacles when it comes to working with different cultures? Oh wow! Very. Uh, it's it, it's a loaded question, and it uh, and, and there are so many ways to answer that, and, and so many anecdotal points to bring up, right? But um, I think to summarize, um, I think it's becoming so. Firstly, before any specific examples, I think even in my lifetime, right? Well, not not just my lifetime, but the last five to ten years, I've seen um, a rapid growth uh, in my mind of the importance of being empathetic and sympathetic to people that are different uh, to you, right, in various forms. And I think this is primarily driven by the cross-pollination of, of cultures and people who live in different locations um, being more ingrained in the way they interact and do things, right? Both within businesses, businesses to customers, right, um, businesses and multiple types of customers, etc. Right. Um, and I think that the, the startups that I think embrace that, um, first, firstly, acknowledge the need for that. Secondly, build starting with values, right? Values and eventually then systems and culture and training, et cetera, in place and hire for that. Um, in my mind, create, create an advantage against compared to companies that don't do that. Right. Yeah. So I think, I, I think that's one, um, like as a general statement. That I'll make. In terms of specific um, specific nuances, I would say a very common, and this is partly coming from my uh, experience with startups, but also as a third culture kid who's never really had, you know, a home culture per se, and I've been very confused all my life, right? But in 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 business, I think one of the most common types of um, struggles I've seen in in Asia, right, that that companies and co-founders have, is the notion of I think. You've got some. You've got some founders that embrace the notion of individualism, right, um, a bit more than others. And I think this very much comes from founders that have been educated or built businesses in the U.S. and Western countries, right. Whereas the opposite of that is that, um, and this is, I'm, I'm trying not to be stereotypical here, right, um, but it's 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 very common for, from my experience, Asian founders to be much more community oriented. Right, and relationship oriented and consider other factors that are more important than their individual goals or preferences. Right. I'm not saying either is good or bad or that one takes uh, precedence over the other, but I think being able to navigate those differences as a co-founding team and also as a general team, I think is critical. Mm -hmm. And I've actually seen multiple startups um, that have broken down by not being able to solve that problem, right? Or not identifying that problem early on. Yeah, that's, um, 
It's good, good, good to understand your view as well. I mean, like you, you can talk it from a personal perspective, but also what you've experienced in the region um, and perhaps the strategic advantages that organisations or founders uh, can have when understanding uh, different cultures. Um, Blake, I'd be interested to hear your view because you kind of you're making the trip back, and and <coughs> does that change things on your side personally? Um, how you view which changing the the definition of culture here? We're talking about uh, con- country cultures almost. Um, does it change your view on on on, on your uh, awareness of culture, but also in an organisation context? Are you working differently now with your peers uh, in the US? Uh, yes. Uh, this this has honestly been one of my biggest struggles over the last seven years is kind of navigating this topic. Um, it was really hard when I first moved to Asia because I was moving from Europe, which is very uh, very different way of doing things day to day and building a business there to then Hong Kong. And so some of the struggles I had early in Hong Kong is I wanted everything to be very collaborative. I wanted open topics as max. Hey, well, you got a problem. Let's talk about it. And then I'd go to run a meeting, even with my direct reports. And I'd say, here's what we're going to do. Here's why we're going to do it. Like, do you have any questions? Do you have any concerns? Am I missing anything? And it's like crickets. And then I walk outside the room. And then needless to say, every one of those people that was sitting in that room at some point during the day would come to me and say something about that meeting (laughs) of like what their opinion was. Mm. And I found that so interesting because I was trying to create a collaborative, open feedback, you know, environment where everybody could voice their thoughts because I thought that was efficient. And it actually is the most efficient to get it done there. But people aren't comfortable doing that. And I think that was a really, really hard adjustment for me first moving to Asia. And then you as you go throughout Asia, obviously, every every country, every market is a bit different. So you just, you know, exponentially take on that um, those cultural aspects and, and try to navigate those the best you can. And I, ultimately, I think you just have to be self-aware that you're enough to know that you're not going to figure it all out. You know, you're not from there. You're not going to, you know, understand exactly everything, but just to be aware enough to know that you might be missing things and then ask enough people, am I missing something? Um, and then I, for me, moving back to the U.S., it's it's been really, really interesting because I've been gone a while. I've been gone over a decade. You know, some of the early being in Asia, you become very direct <laughs> over time. It's just like, you know, no dancing around, no, you know, making everybody feel cuddly and want to hug to get to like where you need to be. You just say, hey, like, here's what we're doing and we're doing it. <laughs> And everybody gets on boat. And well, do, I I didn't adapt very well, you know, coming back to the U.S. on this this topic. And you know, I was getting feedback from some people that worked for me, and they said, like, you're kind of a bully. You're really tough. And for me, this was the most like surprising feedback I'd maybe gotten in seven years because in Asia, people said you're too nice, you're too soft. And so I, I had these like completely different perspectives and I was like, I haven't changed <laughs> in, in the sense of like who I was in Hong Kong and how I managed and how I managed here. Like I adapted a little bit, but obviously I wasn't adapting enough. And there's so much that has happened in the U.S. Um, in the last decade um, from a cultural standpoint. I mean, the last four years, the last two years, you throw a pandemic in there Um people working from home more remotely like this this has been a huge huge challenge to navigate for me my personal management style and uh, i i haven't figured it out exactly coming back but 
where I really take solace and, and you can spend all day trying to perfect this um, of how you navigate these different cultures. But what I find is the most powerful and it goes maybe back to what Max is saying is like, you need to get people around a common purpose, which is growth in a startup. So like, it's not that those things aren't important, but if you could be consumed with them all day, every day is your number one problem and you would never solve it because it's that complex and you're, you're just human. So if you can rally people around and be grounded in your objectives, in your purpose and, uh, and mission as a company, it really, really helps to navigate these things. And so that's, that's what I'm trying to do, but man, it's, it's, it's not easy. Can I, Daniel, can I add a, a small personal story as well? Like Blake's. Um, so I, about in 2019, I went to work in Portland, Oregon. Um, for basically a year, I left Hong Kong. I went to Portland, Oregon. I worked uh, for a fintech business um, uh, with the founder, basically as his kind of number two guy. My first experience, actually, of not being the founder CEO, but being kind of the second in command, which that's a whole nother topic. But um, the craziest thing is, you know, I was sitting in the office and people were leaving every day at like four p.m. and I'm like, what the hell is going on here? You know, the, we're not hitting our metrics. You know, I'm used to, I mean, hell, my, my company got funded by Alibaba. So I'm used to this like Jack Ma 996 thing, which is also ridiculous, by the way. If Jack Ma's listening, stop doing that. Um, but uh, the, uh, the, the point being, it was a real struggle for me to, I mean, Portland is, is crazy. I mean, it's a huge work-life balance culture. Where, you know, guys are bringing their, you know, their ski gear into work and hopping out at 3.30 to make it to the mountain. And I'm like, can you first get your job done and then you can go as much skiing as you want? And it was just not, that was a huge struggle for me to, to manage just, just work uh, ethic. And it's not like we were less productive per se um, in some respects, but certainly it impacted the business. There's no question in my mind. Did you solve that? Because I have that problem no. now. People want to leave. No. I, if it's five, if, if if it's five, if it's five oh one, and there's anyone sitting in their seat, I'm like, dude, I was I was literally at five o'clock. I was the only one in the office in Portland. E- even the founder, the CEO and founder, was gone at four thirty. So my biggest thing was also just training him up to just say, look, if we want employees to be here a little longer, I think you have to be here a little longer as well. <laughs> you know, so. So it's, uh, I mean, the solution, to be honest, the, the solution ultimately came from actually switching out some staff here and there. I mean, we got some of the guys who really just took it to the extreme. We got rid of them and that already helped dramatically because we had these kind of guys who would, you know, and they don't tell me everything, right? I mean, they tell their coworkers much more and they would be very kind of, you know, pushing for everyone to leave at certain times. And that was always a struggle. But that, but that sort of, um, I mean, it's, it's a slightly different topic here, right? Um, which we didn't touch on before in detail. But if you're it's back to the culture and values, I think if you don't have, if you're not doing things in the business that are um, that are aligned to those cultures and values, then that's a problem. And the example of that in this case is, if you are going to have um, a success mindset that's based on things like being in the office being and being visible being an important criteria, right? You've got to hire for people that have those same values, right? And or 
build operations in place that don't require that that visibility, right? So, Neo, what I would just say to that though um, around um, the culture was I am still a proponent though that at a young business and a lot of people might not like to hear this. I, I do kind of take the view that like you can just outwork your competition. And, and again, this changes as a business scales. Um, and, and yes, as it brings on more employees, but certainly at, at certain stages, I really believe you can just outwork everyone. Like you can just be the hardest worker. And, and that has huge dividends, especially if it's compounded over months and years. Um, if you just think like if I'm in Portland and everyone's leaving work at four and my core team is staying till eight for six months, I've done double the amount of work that my competition has done, right? So it's tough. I mean, I, I hate being that guy <laughs> to say that. But again, like you, you work at a startup because we live, you know, we're working on a common goal and maybe, you know, just ski less this year, right? So that's, yeah. that's I mean, again, I've, I've yeah. founded companies, so I've taken plenty of sacrifice in my life. Um, so that's just my personal view. Yep, yep. And and I, I and it just a last point on that. I, I completely agree with the statement of outworking. Right. Um, I think the point that I was trying to make is your firstly your definition of work and the yeah. perception of work, right, can be nuanced and different. Right. If you're outcome oriented, I think um, work doesn't necessarily permeate by being physically visible. For example, agree, agree. Right? And um, and and I've got and I. The 16 companies that I've got equity in, they're in eight different countries and five different continents, right? I can't, I can't even begin to tell you how nuanced um, I've had to become in terms of, you know, firstly, communication, secondly, measuring effectiveness, thirdly, motivating, right? Fourthly, what type of outcomes are important to, uh, to those different cultures that are aligned to the outcomes of the business, for example, Right. I think the notion of being individualistic and being um, and being sensitive to different ways of getting the right outcome from different people is becoming increasingly important, especially now with virtual work and working across geographies and boundaries becoming more preeminent. Yeah, yeah I think if, if for two more seconds, if we got on this, I've got I've got a story of um, something that's relevant on this topic, and there's not a right or wrong answer. But ultimately, I think it's it's the leader's decision to do what they believe is best for the business on this topic, and you have to make a decision because actually leaving these things to ambiguity is the the death nail, no matter what, right? So at least if you make a decision, you can then change a decision later on. But if you never make a decision and try to placate to everybody. Um, that's where you run into trouble. So for example, I mandated as of April 1st are all my cities to be in office in the US this year, right? So this is during the pandemic. We're working out, we're using co-working spaces across cities right now where zero people are going, not because they're closed, but nobody's going into the office. But I said, though we're a big company, we are still early stage in the US. Nobody knows us. We don't have a brand. I don't have millions of hours of training videos. Like the best way you can learn your job and your business is to be next to each other. And we'll take all the safety precautions we need to, right? Yeah. In office, in person, you know, we'll make sure people are vaccinated, everything like this. But this is extreme. Like I lost people because of this, but I believed at the end of the day that like the culture, the culture needed to also mimic what we were asking of our drivers. 
they go out and deliver every single day and you're never going to show up to meet your coworker. Like the worst thing you can do as a leader is be a hypocrite is like, you know, do as I say, not as I do. And so, um, again, navigating the, again, the, the dynamic, but ultimately you have to make a call what you believe is best. And maybe I was right. Maybe I was wrong, but you have to move forward at some point with a, with conviction. I think just to close that topic out a little bit, um, Max, Neo and Blake, I think are all talking about setting the tone, um, and whatever your tone is, right? Uh, if you if you feel the right thing to do for your business is to outwork the competition and, and have that hustle culture, uh, because of the stage of growth that you're at, uh, because you're onto something quite unique, and you, if you if you don't work really really hard, you might you know the the, the wave may go. Um, and uh, you know, Blake, I guess in your in your your story, I mean, you're you're setting the tone. You say we need. We, we need this. We need to, to, to win. And if, if everyone does come into to the office and work, these are the people that you want on your bus. And for those that are getting off the bus or, or out of your van, so to speak, then that's fine because you're, you're managing your culture through your people. Max, are you laughing? Because that was a dad joke. It was good. <laughs> that was a very, that was a strong dad joke on the Lala Move van okay. side. Yeah. Yeah, so, well done, yeah, yeah. well yeah. done. It was, it was more of a smirk. Can you, smirk can you, yeah. can I, can you stand up so I can see your shirt to see if the gauge is actually full now? <laughs> oh, it didn't move. Okay, there's good. There's better stuff yet to come. <laughs> they need to really uh, make this more interactive for sure. Uh, yeah, just just to be aware to the listeners, uh, Daniel's wearing a dad joke T-shirt with a uh, half full gauge on it. Just, uh, oh, just <laughs> I think it's gone backwards. It was three quarters full at the beginning of the uh, of the conversation. Yeah, yeah, well, it depends on uh, if you're if you're a dad or not a dad. Yeah. Um, so so look look, I, th- I think just just conscious of time, we've covered a lot in terms of getting to know each other about. Once again, the importance of culture at the start, values, how important they are. You're looking into the nuances uh, of of growing a business in, in Asia and also the experiences you know, leaving Asia and uh, kind of managing your own your own journey uh, through, through, through life. Um, and I think that for me now, I'm kind of keen to wrap things up a little bit in, in a form um, just to reflect on if there were some some tips that we can offer to the audience as well, um, and, and those tips that we we come up with uh, would be targeted to to other founders that are looking to maybe pay more attention to, to culture or values, uh, interested to learn how they can do that in particular in the Asia Pacific region. So it would would be really good to to bring in some some things that you've learnt and and things that you'd like to to pass on to our audience. Uh, and, and, and just so that we all don't talk at the same time, um, I might I might start with Neo. Okay, so I think, um, I mean, I'll, I'll try to be succinct with this. Um, and I'm repeating myself here, but I think it's so important, right? Um, the first point I'd say is initially find co-founders based on aligned values more than anything else. That's, that's the first bit of advice, right? Um, I'd say... That's that's more important in in my opinion, right? Than things like um, being complementary in terms of skill sets, right? For example, 
um, and many other factors, right? So I think aligned values and aligned purpose is more critical than anything else early on. Um, the second tip I'll give, right, um, is be very cognizant of how different people approach work and are successful in work, right? Um, and then hire accordingly, but also measure things accordingly and manage accordingly as a business, right? That's the second point. And the third point is whatever you decide as a business in terms of culture and values, and this is, I think this resonates what, what Blake said as well, um, do that with conviction, even if it doesn't please everyone. I think being, being aligned and being consistent is oftentimes more important than um, being over-considerate and, and, over and trying to please everybody else. Thanks, Leo. And, and just to, to ask a question about the third tip as well, conviction, I agree, is important and, and being decisive is important. How, how about being agile through through that process as well and being flexible? Is, is, is that also a need? Yeah. Yeah, critical, critical. Mm. I, I think with, with startups in general, I think agility is just one principle that you have mm. to be consistent with from, from day one, right? Mm. Um, and I think, but but I think... It, within reason, right? I think it doesn't make sense for a company to, especially something as important and fundamental as culture, to flip-flop on that regularly, right? I think there needs to be some element of consistency that comes from the DNA of the founders and the purpose that you've defined of, of the company from the beginning. There's got to be consistency. But I think where your business priorities change, right, I think you need to reevaluate culture every now and then. Right, uh, and it's very different from a ten-person company compared to a hundred-person company, for example. And secondly, I think where your business is not performing, um, you can almost guarantee a significant part of that is to do with um, human outputs, right? And then it's a matter of reevaluating, in addition to the standard stuff, you know, about the business model, etc., right? you're probably do not doing something optimally in terms of managing and incentivizing your team, right? Yeah. So revisit that. Excellent. Thank, thanks, Nia, yeah. uh, for, for the tips and, and the extra clarification as well. Uh, I'm going to throw the microphone, so to speak, to, to Max uh, to, to hear some, some tips from your side. Oh, I mean, look, if, if we're talking specifically to founders, I would just say, you know, as I said at the beginning of the the, the podcast, I mean, you know, so much of the culture and values of the business stems from you, um, whether or not you like it or not, whether or not you've set those values or not. Um, and, and one of the pieces of advice that we didn't talk about today, but I'll I'll just share at this summary point, is just as any founder, be aware of your own kind of fallacies or or, or holes or gaps, right, in in setting the tone for the business. I. I made a lot of mistakes, especially with my first company 10 years ago, around not recognizing some of the areas that I was weak in um, and trying to fill those areas through either staff or advisors. And that also hurt my culture eventually. So so just you have to be very honest with yourself, right? Being a great founder means you're accountable to no one, but you're accountable to yourself. Um, and, uh, and, and, and ultimately, you have to be honest with yourself around you know, where your weaknesses and strengths lie. Um, and that'll help dictate the culture, you know, later on. Yeah, love it, Max. Thank you for the tips. Uh, 
Blake, over, over to you. Yeah, without reiterating um, exactly what they said, everything on values they said is very, very important. And so in addition to that, I think we've talked a lot for me is finding finding moments, um, both um, purposeful moments, but just in day to day activities to reinforce the culture you're trying to build. So as I mentioned earlier, sometimes it's through performance reviews and looking at your values and you know talking to people about those. Max talked about the, from day one, how you onboard them. These are very purposeful actions. They don't happen, but you're also going to be confronted, as a, especially for first-time founders, with moments where you actually question, am I doing the right thing? Somebody will say something. I had a lot of instances um, where people in Hong Kong in the early days, the startup ecosystem was very small, so they read about Silicon Valley. So why don't we have ping pong tables? Why don't we have free lunches? Why don't we have flexible working? Why don't we have all of these things? Um, and so then the tip is to like really think about who you want to be and then um, drive back to those founding principles of your company and the culture that you're trying to establish because there's a reason Google has free lunches because they're multi-billion dollar, very profitable company, early stage companies are not. And so it's even in those moments when people ask you by at lunch, like, why don't we have this, that you actually are still aware of your culture and you use those moments to explain yourself and be clear. Um, because you can't just assume that everybody, like everything that goes in your head that you think about 24 seven, because you are the founder, not everybody's like that. And nor, nor are they ever going to be like that. So consequently, you do have to be explicit to people and make it clear for them on what this company stands for and why you're doing it. And sometimes you'll be right. Sometimes you'll be wrong. But the point is that they know why you do what you do. And, and, and they, they'll never know that unless you tell them. And, and uh, That's right. Yeah. And to your point, like I think a founder, uh, it can be founders. I think it's anyone in management as well. It's like, I, I know all the answers. Why don't they know the answers? Why aren't they acting the way that I want them to act? Because that's the way that yeah. I want them to act. Uh, but I haven't told them. Um, so I think I think just to add on to your point, I think yeah. the communication piece or even over communicating, just to be crystal clear that everyone knows what we're talking about. What 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 is the culture? Yeah. I, I really underestimated the need to over communicate the same points over and over again. Mm. I, f I find that like it's like when I sometimes working with my toddler on teaching her things, is like you have to repeat yourself well, because you talk to so many people within a company all the time sometimes you forget who you told something to so you need to take the opportunities to reinforce what's important over and over again and you start to hate listening to yourself stay, say the same things i figured if i said it one time in a town hall everybody's going to remember it forever and that's not at all the case so that like repeating yourself um is really really important um not because people don't understand but to reinforce why you're doing what you're doing and then allow people to give you feedback and ask questions in a, in a situation or an environment that's different for each person, they're going to be uh, comfortable. So that's been a, a really big lesson for me over the years. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, well, Neo, Max and Blank, Blake, uh, thanks very much for, for the tips. Uh, but thank you also for, for spending uh, more than an hour together to talk about the topic of culture, what it means to you all, um, in, in particular in the startup world. And I think for my listeners, they're definitely going to learn about your own individual perspectives. And I, I didn't want to have an echo chamber here where we're all saying the same thing. Um, I think you know, some 
audience members will resonate more with others. Uh, but we've got a collective group of different voices and uh, I'd say largely uh, complementing uh, each other's views. Uh, so, so thank you for joining the second episode of, of Culture Eats. It's been really, really interesting to, to, to get to know you more. And if, if anyone would like to hear uh, from, from each of you uh, further or follow you or stalk you, what's, what's the best way that they can do this? And Nia, I'll start with you. I, I think the most, um, the most obvious way, well, the most frictionless way, I think, is, um, is, is through LinkedIn. Right, um, because the details are already there, and maybe just shoot me shoot me a message yeah. on LinkedIn. I respond to everyone, but I'm very slow to respond. So be patient. It's not because I'm, yeah, not because I'm snobby. I've, I've, I've witnessed that firsthand. Uh, Max, how about yourself? How can, how can they find you? <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I do not respond to everyone on LinkedIn, so do not send me messages on LinkedIn. Um, uh, just go to newterritoryventures.com. Um, you can find more about us and shoot us an email. Yeah, perfect. I'll put that in the show notes as well uh, for people to find you uh, yeah. there. Blake, how about yourself? Yeah, I think you can contact Neo and he'll pass you on to me. <laughs> no. <laughs> it might take some while though. Uh, <laughs> um, no, yeah, uh, I, th I think LinkedIn is all right. Send me a message. Sometimes I'm a bit slow to get back to you, but, um, you know, that way you can learn a little bit about our company and such while you're doing it. So, um, yeah, that would be great. Oh, really? I, I've just been hailing random Lala Lala bands, and yeah, that's why I just. Been <laughs> you know, once if you early on, it was okay when he had less than. That's right. That's right. Maybe I'll be driving one day. You'll get lucky. That's a good way to find me. You know. Good luck, Mia. <laughs> So yeah, th thank you everyone. I think that's that's all from from me. Um, we can we can wrap wrap things up and uh, yeah, re really appreciate you spending uh, more than an hour together in in the US and uh, yeah, getting up nice and early uh, as well as in Thailand, uh, staying up nice and late with me, Neo. So th thank, thank you guys. Yeah, thank you. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it, Daniel. Thanks everyone. Thank Thanks you, everyone. Good luck with the podcast. Take care. Love it. See you guys.